should wait to come out, that you should uh, try to gain rank or status before you do that. That's a bunch of bull****. It's a new day in the music industry, and I can reach my fans. We're getting there. I've caused harm to the political agenda, and which I'm actually happy for. I would say probably the best message to them is that they're on the wrong side of history. Whether you're lesbian, gay, bi, transgender, or whatever, Love is love. Shout it out to the world. The Michelle Miao Show. Your A through Z covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between show. And now here's your host, Michelle Miao. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It's Tuesday, November 24th, and I'm Michelle Miao, your host. My current Facebook post reads, I got a haircut. <laughs> I did a, a detoxifying Umbrian clay mask last night, and I probably will get a pedicure before Thursday. And that's because I'm going to visit my family. I don't think I did any of this at all, ever, for a date. Right, John? <laughs> well, I can't guarantee that you've never done it for a date, but yes, that it was your Facebook post. <laughs> John Zipper of Commonwealth Club is here with us. Oh, my gosh. It is Thanksgiving week, and while you know some of us do recognize this holiday for... Uh, uh, if we put it in historical context in the colonization of you know uh, <laughs> this country, I mean I don't I don't I don't want to go there. Uh, all I know is you know some, it brings families together and uh, it is a good time to reflect and be thankful for what we do have. I think most people look at it that way. Very few people around are actually descended from folks who came over and rickety old boats mm-hmm. i mean at the pilgrims time I mean, yeah. most of our ancestors came over in the last 150 years or so i'm excited because you know i'll, I'll have a break finally but i'll be around family and i can just kind of disconnect and not think about anything i actually have started the disconnection as early as last week and i i know i told you this john before uh, we started the program but i've disconnected from media you know for the most part uh especially watching news because uh, it got so bad so what have i missed Oh, wow. Well, I can fill you in. Let me see if I can do it in one minute. Uh, Donald Trump is still uh, reacting to criticism over a Black Lives Matter protester who was roughed up at one of his uh, uh, speeches. Um, Dr. Ben Carson plummeting in the polls. Hold on. Can we go back to Trump really quick? Wait, can we go back to your pedicure? Oh, right. Yeah, because that was, you know, he's hopefully can be old news. Uh, but 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 roughed up, at, you know, you mean by one of his people or yes, it was just by someone? Some, well, by some of the folks in the audience who uh, uh, apparently took it upon themselves to. Uh, I got you, there's a video of this you can find online if okay. you ever reconnect All right. of him being hit and punched. Good news on Carson. Yes. However, Trump is rising. Ugh. Now, my favorite story has nothing to do with presidential politics. It's the cat bombing of social media in Belgium. So in Brussels, they were hunting these uh, ISIS terrorists mm-hmm. who were connected, they thought, to the, uh, the Paris bombings. And the police told the people not to post anything like, oh, hey, I just saw a police car drive down the street or there are, you know, there's a police action going on down, down the street mm-hmm. because they didn't want the terrorists because the terrorists, of course, are following all that as well. Right. So instead, the people of Brussels posted photos and videos of cats. Awesome. And, and some really great <laughs> stuff. Uh, if you go to Twitter, do uh, hashtag Brussels lockdown oh and you'll God. get a, a whole bunch of great stuff. I, I think today, you know, who knows what if Belgium will 
will uh, impress us or anger us in the future. But for today, it's the coolest country. Oh, my gosh. That and is one, pretty cool. One last thing. It's probably more than a minute, but hey. Uh, Canada announced that it will not accept Syrian refugees who are single men unless they're gay. True story. That's true. Yes. Are you sure? Uh, well, according to the internets. Oh, not not the Onion. Not the Onion. Uh, and Dallas, on the other hand, remember Dallas? Yes. I don't mean the TV show. I mean, like, there's a city <laughs> called Dallas. Seriously. Dallas, the not the TV show, not the hair, but the city. And most important, Dallas in the ultra-red state of Texas. The Dallas mayor said his city will help settle Syrian refugees. In fact, he said he's not worried about Syrian refugees. He's far more worried about gatherings of white men who shoot up theaters and schools and stuff like that so wow. that's your world in a minute michelle do you feel connected uh very 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 much so especially to the cats i love cats <laughs> <laughs> all right let's get our program started today today's program is brought to you by pacific fertility center when life needs a little encouragement pacific fertility center will be right by your side visit pacificfertilitycenter.com uh, our guest today, wow, uh, what a treat our producer has gifted us, <laughs> because, especially because I'm fresh off of, yes, that trip that I've been talking about to Bentonville, Arkansas, in which, uh, you know, they put on the Emerge Summit, and so it was an invitation to young millennials who are doing incredible work within their uh, organizations, and that included several civil rights organizations of African-American organizations, Asian-American, of, and yes, of course, I was there because I'm queer. Uh, <laughs> an LGBT organization. So our guest is Al Norman. He's a citizen activist and author who founded Sprawl Busters back in the early 90s after he blocked Walmart in his hometown in Massachusetts. And uh, he provides grassroots assistance to citizens fighting big box sprawl. So he's written three books about Walmart and the most recent being Occupy Walmart. Uh, and here to, d to further discuss an article he just put out on Huffington Post di discussing gender discrimination and some lawsuits that have come out from that. Uh, let's welcome Al Norman to the program. Al, thanks for being with us. My pleasure. Thanks for asking me. So, you know, uh, let's let's jump right into it. Let's talk about Walmart. I did get a chance to briefly skim through your book, Occupy Walmart, and so thank you for sending that to me. Let's address that $10 uh, minimum wage chapter, though. As you know, Walmart has increased their wages to at least 9 bucks an hour, and with definite plans to increase that to 10 bucks uh, an hour in early next year. You know, the CEO, Doug McMillan, the current one, has already been, um, you know, promoting the fact that they're investing $26 billion in, over the course of all this which we've seen their stocks be affected isn't this great news can we we shut your book and and say wow all of our problems are have been resolved well obviously the people who are uh working on the walmart plantation aren't aren't cheering it's not enough it's it's uh it's totally inadequate to say to somebody we're going to eventually get you to 10 bucks an hour i mean why, why would anyone throw a party over that uh 15 an hour is is a great first step and i think that all my friends in organized labor who are pushing for fifteen an hour understand that that's not the stopping place that's a another plateau but we gotta get beyond that and give these people a, a decent wage and you know just look at the disparity between the folks at the top and the folks who are toiling on the plantation the walton family you know one of the probably is the richest family collectively in in the country and uh, the billionaires are doing well there, but the the foot foot soldiers are not. So no, it's not. I'm not. I'm not really impressed with their ten dollars an hour. 
Uh, and I'm, I'm going to follow up with that. I mean, you know, Doug McMillan, who is he's relatively new. I think he's been uh, CEO for about a year, year and a half. I mean, he has been uh, praised by certain community activists um, for making this move, this bold move in, in which couldn't be a good thing for their stockholders who uh, feel as if they're suffering. Um, can we at least give them that, that progress has been made? Well, I, I call him Doug McMillan. Um or Doug McBillion would be probably more appropriate. Uh, I, I don't see I don't see any cause for uh, significant praise here. I mean, they're they're doing it because of market forces. They know that they have to raise the wages of their workers, or, or they're going to lose them. Um, they they for for many decades felt that they had a captive labor source because they were hiring people who couldn't go elsewhere. But uh, you know, somebody who's trying to uh, you know, raise a family on on that uh, kind of income, single mom with a kid or two. You're talking about either at or below the poverty level. So, you know, am I am I impressed that he made the move? Uh, not particularly. I think it was market driven. Does it really affect the stockholders? Not really. There have been studies showing that Walmart could raise the wages of its workers uh, and not uh, reduce, uh, you know, its its stock dividends. Uh, that there's enough money in that company, particularly at the very top, uh, to to take care of the people who are working there, and that that produces more worker satisfaction, better productivity, and raises the uh, you know the the worth of the company. So that investing in your own people, you know, because Walmart is a company that says our people make the difference. So the difference is giving them enough money that they can you know afford uh, a decent life. They're, they're, probably many of them are going to turn around and spend it at Walmart anyway, so they're just investing in themselves. But no, I have no, I have no great praise for Walmart's leadership because of this action. They need to do a lot more. Now, do you think it's possible there's even the, this movement to raise the, their minimum pay a little bit as a way of trying to head off the fifteen dollar, you know, pushes for that? That it, it might be just enough of a sop to decrease the number of people who are demanding a higher wage, a real wage. Well, I think they were trying to cut employee dissatisfaction by giving them, you know, a little bit. Um, not what certainly not what they asked for. I mean, they know they know the company knows that that uh, a lot of the retail sector now is asking for fifteen. They they look at, at their McDonald's in their store and they know that the workers there are agitating. So all the fast food industry, all the big box people are now saying that, you know, it's not enough to just you know throw out a few crumbs and say, you know, here's your nine or ten bucks an hour. Um, so yeah, I think it was meant to blunt any effort to to continue to push. They're not happy about uh, you know minimum wages going up. I mean, you know, to them, workers are a cost center like heating or lighting, and if you can get away with uh, paying them the the least you can, you become more competitive in in their eyes, and uh, y- you know you can keep those China prices low, source your products cheaply, have your your uh, workforce domestically as cheap as possible. I mean, everybody, everybody who's paid any attention to what Walmart is doing as a business model understands that it's not about treating their workers uh, fairly or giving them the kind of wages that they need. It's about producing products as cheaply as possible uh, for the end user. we got about three minutes left before our break, and uh, I wanted to jump into your most recent article that was posted uh, at the Huffington Post in which you talk about a recent lawsuit filed by a transgender Walmart worker 
Um, and, it, you know, it, this opens up a, a whole big discussion because Walmart has been promoting the fact that they have done a lot of changes, social changes, especially, you know, their relationship with the LGBTQ community. Now offering same-sex couples uh, benefits and also extending that to include tra- transgender benefits. Um, talk to us about this this lawsuit and what it's really about that was, you know, filed by uh, Samantha Azarano. Yeah, this was a, um, a lawsuit filed recently, sometime in the you know fall, late fall, September, October, by a worker who had been at Walmart for uh, about two years before she was fired. Um, the suit uh, contends that she was fired because of her gender identity. Um, she was harassed and intimidated uh, by her supervisors uh, for being transgender. She was called a bleeping tranny. I'm just bleeping the word. You can imagine, uh, but it was um, it was a, a worker who uh, eventually was was fired by uh, a supervisor who was no longer even her direct supervisor because they were just simply um, tired of uh, of dealing with this person who was different than they were. And uh, the lawsuit um, is filed under this is in New Jersey in a store in Deptford, New Jersey. It was filed uh, under the um, uh, the New Jersey has a, a law against. Uh, uh, gender discrimination that includes transgender, and um, uh, it was filed in um, uh, Camden County uh, um, in New Jersey, and it, it you know just um, it charges them with uh, with gender discrimination, and uh, says that that was the uh, the reason why she was uh, subjected to a campaign of, of what Walmart calls write-ups and verbal coachings, which are the necessary preliminaries for getting rid of someone. Um, and that the uh, the incidents were all uh, driven by the, this harassment by uh, uh, you know gender identity, sexual orientation, perception of sexual orientation, gender stereotyping, uh, and uh, the the plaintiff status as a transgender person. So the irony, of course, is that Walmart uh, you know claims that it has a, a transgender friendly policy. But then they're firing people that that are transgender. So once again, it's an example of, yeah, we got a policy. It's in a file cabinet somewhere. But on on the ground, at the store level, uh, people are still being outrageous and and discriminatory and uh, causing a lot of pain. I think we're we're going to stop here and take a break because all of my questions are super heavy, and I don't, <laughs> I don't think you'll answer them in like thirty seconds. So, Al, thank you so much for being with us. You'll sure. stay with us and continue this conversation about Walmart. I will. The Michelle Miao Show continues right after this. Don't go away. Thanks for listening to the Progressive Voices Network, streaming the best in progressive talk 24-7. Keep the progressive conversation going on by joining our community. Each week, we send out an email that covers important things taking place in the Progressive Voices Network and throughout the progressive world. Be the first to know of upcoming shows, schedule changes, exclusive programming, and more. Simply go to ProgressiveVoices.com and sign up for our mailing list. It's that easy. ProgressiveVoices.com. Thanks for listening, and thanks for joining the Progressive Voices community. I think we're ready. We're really doing this. Yeah, I'm ready for our family. 
So where do we start? <laughs> Starting a family is a team effort, and when life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. As a unified team of the best fertility specialists, guided by the highest ethical standards, Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. This is a true story about two best friends who fell in love and moved across the country to the city by the bay. After many years of dating, Jen and Jacqueline are now planning their dream wedding. It's a big moment in everyone's life when you say, I do. Especially when you can make choices for your authentic life and your loved ones too. Congratulations, Jen and Jacqueline. Live your authentic life. A special message brought to you by Weatherford BMW. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm Michelle Meow, your host, and uh, here with us on this incredible, awesome Tuesday is, of course, John Zipper of Commonwealth Club. Our guest on the phone is Al Norman, who's a citizen activist, and uh, he's known for his work in blocking a Walmart in his hometown in Massachusetts. He has a book uh, titled Occupy Walmart, in which we're discussing it, as well as an article that was recently posted on the Huffington Post discussing a recent lawsuit involving a transgender Walmart uh, former worker, uh, I think, former yes al thanks so much for being with us i think yes uh, samantha is no longer with walmart today yeah, right she's yeah. no longer with uh with the retailer and that's probably better for her right yes so let's talk about you know the um the changes that we need to see at store level my guess is a response to something like that you know walmart would say they've got over five thousand stores and and uh, over 1.3 million employees it's 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 hard to you know make these uh, changes overnight well and have they responded publicly uh, <laughs> to this? well i mean you know th- this first of all this this issue of how they treat um LGBTQ folks, uh, you know, this isn't like all of a sudden there's this case. I mean, the, I, I recall back in 2011 when Walmart, I actually wrote about this in, on the Huffington Post, when they were uh, trying to push their way into New York City, um, the Stonewall Democratic Club of New York, I think, wrote something that was absolutely true about the company. They said that, that Walmart represents a culture of intolerance, intolerance and insensitivity uh, towards LGBT employees, and the example that they were, the examples they gave was that um, more than 100 stores um, had were promoting a children's book that suggested that gay people can overcome sin and convert to heterosexuality uh, with the help of a counselor. And the CEO of Walmart uh, had signed a petition in in Arkansas saying that um, they should try to prevent adoption by gay and lesbian parents. So. This is sort of a chronic thing here. We're not dealing with a one-off problem. Um, Walmart, you know, Walmart has said that. Well, you know, we have we have amended our discrimination policy to to deal with uh, uh, transgender now. But um, then, you know, again, operationally, it doesn't mean anything. I mean, you, you know, you pass these paper documents. Uh, they're not. They don't reach the store level. The folks at the store level are as benighted as ever. Um, they don't care what or maybe don't know what the policy of their company is, and they just react to people who they consider to be different than they are uh, by harassing and intimidating them and pushing them out. Um, so I just think, you know, you, you look back at all kinds of gender discrimination at this company, the huge lawsuit that was filed in 2001. I mean, that's you're talking about 14 years ago, there was this lawsuit 
large class action lawsuit involving as many as 1.6 million women at Walmart over gender discrimination in pay and other uh, uh, employee benefits. So this is a company, I say in my article, this is a company that has more lawsuits than men's suits. So, you know, their own people, they, they have to have lawyers to defend them from their own people. So this is not, you know, again, this has not been addressed. It has not been corrected. The only reason it became a lawsuit in New Jersey is because there happens to be a, a state law against gender discrimination, uh, unlike at the federal level dealing with transgenders. There's nothing. So um, I, don't, I don't think that uh, there's been any real effort or response from Walmart to this lawsuit or in general to the fact that they don't really uh, treat their people uh, the way they should. So let, let's get, I guess, specific about what they should do if they want to make those statements in their, their employee manual come to life and be actually felt on the local level. I mean, is there, is, are there other companies that have done that that you can point to and say, hey, look, that's what they should be doing. There's no excuse mm-hmm. for a big company. You know, this can be done in a large distributed company. Well, I mean, I don't, I don't, uh, I haven't studied, uh, you know, uh, how the, how the large scale retailers and other places are dealing with the issue of uh, of gay rights for their for their own workers. I imagine that it's not um, you know particularly um, admirable. Even if you even if you look at you know good policies again on paper, you, you still have to deal with. There's an ugly reality at the store level that there's a lot of prejudice and hatred that still exists. And um, uh, I don't really you know I don't really look at what's you know what's in the cabinet. You have to look at what's what's really happening on the floor and. Um, all the earmarks of what's happened at Walmart uh, are that there's been no no real effort to say, for example, to their to their supervisors, look, if you if you discriminate against somebody based on their gender, uh, you better be careful because it's probably you that will lose your job, not them. So, right. so we just want you to know that this we take this policy seriously. Uh, we look at activities on the store level, and when we get a lawsuit like this, we are we. Walmart, we're going to investigate the supervisory response because our concern is that uh, it may be the supervisory level that needs to go. Right, right. I was just going to add to that. I mean, you know, that was the big thing that I, I said to Doug McMillan at my time in Bentonville. If it was one thing that I could walk away with, it would be, you know, they one, you know, it would be great for him to step out and support an Equal Rights Act, something on the federal level. You you touched on it, Al, um, that would be inclusive of gender identity, sexual orientation, and illegal, you know, to fire someone uh, because of that. And um, secondly, I mean, you know, company policies uh, nationwide. Uh, that would make it, you know, against company policy to fire someone based off of gender identity, sexual orientation. I mean, Oracle has already done something like that, and it had always done um, something like that, even if there is no government law that mandates that you have to do that. Um, and then, you know, of course, implementing is something within human rights or HR, your HR, you know, in educating all workers and ha- making them go through an education process and learning about the diversity of your employees. Um, education's a good thing, right? Not just for, <laughs> you know, at the store level, but for all communities. Um, yeah, I'll well, add my two there, cents there. Um, yeah, if, there were, if there was an HR department at this Deptford, New Jersey store, I would think that that HR department would have been severely embarrassed by this incident, pulled mm-hmm. the supervisor aside and said, you know, this, this has to stop and, you know, you're, you're, you're coached. We're going to coach you because this, you've embarrassed the entire store, if not the entire uh, network of stores, 
by this incident because people are going to know us by this. They're going to remember that you couldn't deal with uh, someone under your supervision that didn't present themselves the way that you do. And, and on that basis alone, you know, we're, we're going to coach you. Right. I mean, this is, this is the stuff that has to happen, you know, through whether it's through the HR department or through the store manager. Somebody uh, would have said, uh, first of all, we're going to settle this lawsuit as quickly as possible, and we're going to do it quietly, and we're going to move on. But, you know, we've put a warning out to supervisors at this store and throughout our stores that this is the kind of embarrassment that, that uh, Walmart doesn't want to deal with. Let's jump, uh, you know, to a bigger conversation as we're winding down in time. I mean, gosh, I could spend all hour talking to you, Al, about about Walmart um, because, you know, I realized at my time in Bentonville, it was like I represent, you know, the LGBTQI community. I represent women. I represent people of color. And, you know, I have a disabled brother. I grew up in a low-income family. I grew up in Stockton, California, the Detroit of California, uh, in which, you know, we have three super center Walmarts that, uh, yeah, huge um, presence in our city. There's this argument that, you know, Walmart, who employs over 1.3 million employees here in this country, who are the number one employers of women, African-American and Hispanic uh, people, you know, they're a good thing for neighborhoods. Your book obviously, you know, (laughs) refutes every ounce of that statement. Tell us why. Well, there, there are folks who believe that uh, Walmart is some kind of economic engine and that it produces jobs. But all the, all the research I've done over the past two decades and that I've seen um, indicates that, in fact, this is, not, this is not a form of economic development. It's a form of economic displacement. Walmart cannibalizes jobs. When it comes to a community, most of the jobs uh, are just uh, wearing new, you know, they're, they're sort of new, new aprons from around old jobs. They're people who have been kicked out, have lost their employment other places, and now have to walk across the street and file an application to work at Walmart. Some of them are, are unionized jobs that were paying much better uh, than Walmart pays. And so there's no, there's no economic kick here. There's no, it's, you know, it's like a zero-sum game or loss of jobs in many communities. Um, there have been longitudinal studies uh, in the Midwest that were, that were done that showed that in, in a community that had uh, uh, Walmart or saturations of Walmarts, that they, they were losing jobs. Uh, and so economically, it's bad news for most communities. Um, environmentally, it's disaster because they're building these huge, um, uh, you know, uh, concrete and asphalt stores where used to used to have green space. And so you're, you're polluting the, the air, you're polluting the light, you're polluting the water. You're doing things, you're creating much more traffic congestion, um, and there's no, there's nothing environmentally to, to get excited about either. So, uh, you know, wh- you know, where is the, where is the payback for communities? And then, and the third thing is that communities often are throwing money at these stores. Um, you know, we'll, oh, we'll, we'll build you your water uh, to your store. We'll get you the sewer lines. We'll, we'll, uh, you know, uh, improve the roadways, and we'll pay for it with uh, tax dollars. And it's like corporate welfare for, for billionaires. And so. When you add it all up, um, we're better off, you know, if Walmart today stopped building superstores, and I'm happy to say they've slowed down dramatically because they're getting killed by Internet shopping, that, you know, if we stop building these huge dinosaurs, uh, uh, concrete dinosaurs by the sides of our, uh, side of our road, we would be better off economically, environmentally, and socially. Uh, I didn't mention all the crime that happens at these stores. 
um, enormous amount of, uh, of crime cost to, to the public. We would be better off in so many ways if this company uh, changed its business model uh, from top to bottom and stopped uh, you know, its expansion program. Do you think those criticisms would be similar against all big box retailers, the Barnes and Nobles and the Best Buys and, and others, or is there something specific about Walmart that has particularly gotten your ire? Well, Walmart is the uh, sort of like the prototype of, of all this. You know, they, they're the leader, and they all these other retailers uh, try to emulate Walmart uh, sometimes with the same uh, you know wording, the same policies. Um, the same everyday low pricing uh, nonsense, buying from China, displacing jobs in America, shutting down factories that used to make Levi's and uh, other kinds of products and textiles, you know, losing entire industries. New England, where I live, has been devastated by the loss of manufacturing jobs. All the regional retailers are gone. You know, we're left with just a monopoly of the few very big national chains. I don't have much good to say about any of them. I don't, you know, I don't. I don't shop at any of them. I don't go to Walmart, Target, you know, Lowe's, Home Depot. Home, you know, to me, Home Depot is just an orange Walmart, and Lowe's is just a blue Home Depot. They're all, they're all a business model that's bankrupt. Uh, they're not, you know, they're not creating a, 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 you know, a positive growth for our country. Um, bringing in all these cheap Chinese imports has not been helpful. The flight of jobs has not been helpful to third world countries and to places like uh, mm-hmm. China and Vietnam, you know, it's done a number. You know, this whole trade thing and the Walmart thing has done a number on our economy. We haven't recovered from it. Um, and uh, so I don't have a whole lot good to say, you know. Uh, I've, been, I've been threatened with lawsuits by people like Costco and others. I'm being sued by, home, uh, by uh, Wal- uh, Whole Foods right now. So, I, no, I don't have a whole lot to say. It's not just Walmart, but they're, they're sort of like the poster child of everything that's wrong with retailing today in this country. Al, thank you so much for being with us today and discussing your thoughts around Walmart. Um, you know, it's always good to have these, uh, you know, types of conversations to open up opinions and ideas. It helps keeps us intelligent, I say, or well informed. Um, Al, last question for you, really quick. Uh, you know, uh, Walmart's the the Walmart's the Home Depots, the Whole Foods. Those companies exist today, and the fact is, people are consuming, um, you know, their products. So if they can be agents of change and do good things for our communities, I mean, shouldn't, shouldn't we just, uh, you know, can we help them? Can they be agents of change? Well, I mean, uh, you know, there's a, there's a group called Making Change at Walmart, which is committed to try to get uh, the, the workers inside the store. They formed their own group called Our Walmart. Uh, I think all that agitation is great. And I, and I you know, I personally have decided not to, not to uh, give my money to any of these stores and to shop locally. I feel better for it. I don't feel addicted to these companies like Walmart and Target. I don't need them. But if people want to engage them and try to make them uh, you know, more community-friendly and worker-friendly, I think that's terrific, and I support those act- actions on their part. Al, thanks again for being with us. I'd love to do it. Thanks. Appreciate you my, my being invited. Yeah, we'll we'll definitely keep our conversation open. I have a, I have a feeling that you know this is not the first or last conversation I will have about Walmart. So thank you. Thanks. Thanks for your work too. Take All care. right, Al Norman. He's a citizen activist. If you'd like to follow his work, head to sprawl-busters.com. Don't go away. When we come back, we go around the world and find out what life is like for LGBTQ people with our guests.
I'm Heclina. I've been doing drag here in San Francisco for almost 20 years, and uh, over the past couple of months, I just opened up my club, Oasis. It's been going really well. People really seem to appreciate the space. It's something people say San Francisco really needs right now because the city has been changing a lot. I always had this attitude of, of opening a space that was kind of like for everybody, and that's just kind of the attitude and the, the uh, the ethics of Oasis is it's kind of a space for everybody. How does it feel to be a business owner? I don't know, you know, it's funny because I still need to, I still have to kind of pinch myself to believe it's actually true, you know what I mean? Like I walk in there and, and I go up to the bar and I go, oh, can I please have a glass of water? You know, it's kind of like, I forget that it's my place. Running gay clubs, it's changed a lot. Um, I think that gay people now, they're everywhere. They don't feel like they have to maybe be in a gay bar all the time, so you have to be much more creative about how you are enticing people to come out to your club. I, I guess I'm successful because I'll just say it, I work really hard at what I do. I also like to provide a really quality experience for people. So yes, you know, people will pay to see my shows and pay to come to my club, but I always like, like to give them something that's worth it. The experience that they'll, they'll leave my shows going, okay, that was worth it, you know what I mean? This has always been my attitude. Um, just to entertain people, and so it seems like that works, you know. I would say to young kids, you know, just kind of form your own identity. And, uh, and you know, don't let others dictate how you should behave or think. Uh, you can always go to uh, sfoasis.com to find out about all the entertainment and nightlife that we have going on at Oasis. If you want to see drag, we've got that for you. If you want to see some queer hip-hop parties or queer dance parties, we have that for you. Spotlight on success and achievement. Brought to you by Wells Fargo. Together we'll go far. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining us here on this Tuesday, the week of Thanksgiving. So much to be grateful for. And one uh, of my, you know, big thanks is, of course, being alive, being here and being able to do a program like this. It's your A through Z covering the LGBT, LMNOP and everyone in between. And with us on Tuesday is our good friend, John Zipper of Commonwealth Club. Always glad to be here with you, Michelle. <laughs> so, you know, I said right before the break, we're going to go around the world. I actually have a really cool story about our next guest. I had the pleasure of meeting Lisa and Jenny, um, you know, years and years and years ago. I don't even know if they remember me, but uh, I, I, I thought their idea was so cool. And they set out on this idea to go around the world and, and film you know, LGBTQ people. Uh, and at that time when I met them, it was just an idea. They didn't actually do it yet. And so I think several years, I think I don't, I, if I count back how many years that that day was, uh, you know, it's got to be more than five years, I think. And uh, and here they are. They just did a, an entire TED talk um, discussing their documentary out and around. And so I'm very, very, very proud and humbled to introduce you to our next guest, Lisa Dezols. Lisa, welcome to the program. Hey, thanks so much, Michelle. And I, we remember that, that interview. I think it was about four and a half years ago. So it's so great to be back and talking to you and have actually done what we, we set out to do. <laughs> you know, not very many people do what they say they're going to do. So you guys are super duper cool, you know, uh, awesome people and lesbians. And just, <laughs> I just have to put that out there. So let, let's talk about, you know, the, the film, the, the project, the documentary out and around, uh, you know, what kind country did you visit first? Sure. So we traveled to 15 countries in Asia, Africa, and South America. 
Um, our first stops were actually Australia and New Zealand. We had some family there. Uh, and then we headed up to Southeast Asia, to Taiwan, China, to East Africa, and to um, South America. <laughs> so, wow. um, yeah, it, it was, uh, we, we picked countries that, you know, were important to us. Um, you know, we had picked, for example, Taiwan, because that's where Jenny's uh, family's from. Uh, we had picked the Philippines, because that was where my mother was born. Uh, we picked Chile, because um, I had lived there for two years as a social worker. And we also picked countries that we wanted to go to developing countries, countries where the LGBT movement was, um, you know, was picking up momentum and uh, countries where we saw people of color. So stories that weren't necessarily told in mainstream press, um, where we also had language abilities. So Jenny speaks Mandarin and I speak Spanish. So we just felt very lucky to um, have that access. How did you find the differences to be between all these different countries? I mean, it, you know, you, yeah, the, you went to kind of countries that had these similarities in, in being developing countries, growing LGBT uh, awareness, but um, there must have been really significant differences between them. I mean, you're three different continents. There were, and that, that was part of the reason why we chose those countries. We wanted to uh, show kind of a variety of acceptance. Um, and, you know, there are different reasons in different regions as to why Homophobia, homophobia and transphobia exist. Uh, for example, in East Africa, it's really based on religious-based homophobia, whereas in China, it's really based on family structure and on, um, you know, not disappointing parents and, and, and not bringing about shame to the family. Um, at the same time, there were so many similarities. Um, you know, when we just walked into other countries and met other queer people, you know, it, it almost felt like we were meeting long-lost cousins. Because, wow. You know, you have this uh, shared experience of being um, the other. And when you come out, you know, it's the, you know, it, it's a unique culture because you come out and, you know, you're not, no one, you know, you're not born into a family where everyone's gay, obviously. Um, you have to kind of find your people. So how, how, so, how did you find them? Because I'm kind of wondering, you know, did some people not want to talk on camera or... Uh, was everyone kind of eager to get their story out? Sure. So we um, we actually were seeking what we called super gays. So people who were doing something um, something extraordinary in the in their community. So we were seeking people who, for the most part, were out and were outspoken. Um, and you know, we actually found it really easy. We I think we probably had a ninety five percent acceptance rate of wow. like emails that we sent and people responding to us. So I think people, especially in the developing world, are, are very eager to connect, to network, to share their story. Um, you know, just it was a testament of um, how open the LGBT community really is. Lisa, I wanted to know, I mean, you know, obviously here in the United States and especially in a city like San Francisco where both you and Jenny live, um, great things were happening for LGBTQ people, such as marriage. Um, as you, you know, set out on, on these uh, these trips, well, you know, I don't think that you can generalize what LGBTQ life like or, you know, was like for people around the, the country, but... Um, I, try, I guess, you know, I mean, I don't know if anything stood out for you or what are some things that, you know, we can take from your trip that uh, maybe most uh, American LGBTQ people might not know? Well, you know, I mean, we're just, we're living in a very exciting time and uh, there's so much, you know, momentum. I mean, there's momentum like within the states. So, you know, uh, I mean, we saw sweeping momentum in the U.S. the past five years. So as, you know, one state earns, 
equality. It really affects how, you know, other campaigns in other states learn from their experiences and, you know, we just grow stronger. So it's like, oh, my God, Iowa has <laughs> marriage equality. How is that possible? Mm-hmm. We must have marriage equality in California. And once you start, you know, once once it's okay in a state like Iowa, <laughs> like, you know, once that's proven, how can the rest of the country not change their minds and hearts? And I think that's also what we're seeing, uh, you know, around the world. So, um, you know, uh, the U.S. is not the example <laughs> of equality for countries around the world. I mean, we were in, you know, uh, when we were in South America, um, you know, Argentina had had full equality way before the U.S. did. And when Argentina had, you know, gained their equality, uh, Uruguay and Brazil quickly followed. So it's really, I mean, it's, we really are very interconnected in terms of social movements. And, uh, I mean, I think we all feel that, you know, this is just a, a thrilling time for for civil rights. What were your biggest surprises that you found? Um, you know, I mean, I think, I don't know, biggest surprises, I, I think um, just in terms of Jenny and I just really, we just changed so much over the year. I mean, I think, um, you, you know, we had had, it was just a beautiful time for us as a couple. I mean, I think that we had, there were so many ways that uh, the trip and the interviews that we did really changed our own hearts and, and made us stronger. And in the film, you really see um, just kind of what we went through as a couple. And, you know, we've been very privileged and blessed. Um, but at the same time, you know, we had our own <laughs> we had our own struggles with our own family just to gain acceptance. And it really, the trip really, um, I don't know, I guess in a way helped us to kind of form a stronger community and uh, feel more secure in ourselves. Um, and I guess, you know, the other, yeah, yeah. I mean, the other surprising thing I think is just that, um, you know, it's very eye opening to meet, especially the activists in East Africa and just see how, you know, how much risk they're taking (laughs) to stand up for what they believe in. Mm -hmm. And, um, that was the most shocking to me where I was just like, oh gosh, I just want to help you guys all apply for asylum. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But, um, you know, they are just people there are just, you know, very holding their ground and very um, strong in what they believe. And, you know, it really made me question, like, deep down gut question, like, what would I do if I, if I was born here, if I lived here? Michelle um, Miao and uh, John Zipper of Commonwealth Club on the phone with us is our guest, Lisa Dezols. And uh, we're talking about her film project that she did with her partner, Jenny Chang. And uh, the film project or documentary is out and around. And these guys went around the world and, and filmed LGBTQI lives. Um, <laughs> Lisa, you guys actually have a really cool, unique story. You left your nine to five jobs. Uh, you had, you know, no real experience, experiences in making a documentary uh, as far as like, you know, credentials of being an, an actual filmmaker. You you bought a book, uh, How to Make a Documentary. Uh, <laughs> so, it, you know, was this like a, some, some dream or, you know, maybe a premonition that you needed to execute? Uh, what made you guys want to drop everything and do this? Well, I think, you know, it was that the idea of dropping and tra- dropping everything and traveling was just, it's that's an easy dream when you're, like, young and in love and just wanting to have some freedom. Um, you know, doing the film project, what, what, what kept us going really was, um, I think, the accountability that once we said something and we, we started, you know, we started a blog and we started telling our friends and people started offering us help to complete the project, 
I mean, this is really a project uh, that couldn't have been done without the support of the LGBT community in San Francisco. Um, you know, people like yourself who were like, yeah, let's talk about this. Let's interview you. <laughs> let's just put it out there. <laughs> it's kind of like, oh, God, we got to, we got to, we, you know, we're, we felt we felt really compelled to finish the project. And um, we had such great support on our blog and through the, the initial videos that we made um, that, you know, when we came home, we actually c- completely lucked out. We had 120 hours of video footage that we had gathered and we met two tremendous um, real filmmakers <laughs> who took over the post-production, um, Ryan and Lauren, and they you know, were incredible. They, they took all 120 hours of our video footage and they narrowed it down into what's a really beautiful um, film that has now been on um, Logo Television and been through this, the film circuit. And you know, uh, we're very hopeful about distribution internationally and, and here in the States. So, um, you know, I think when you have an idea which other people can support and feel, feel aligned in their mission, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of unstoppable. <laughs> I would say so. This is so incredible. I'm so excited and so happy for you guys. We have to take a quick break right here, Lisa, but when we come back, I want to you know, wind down on our uh, conversation about your incredible project. Stay with us. The Michelle Miao Show continues right after this. Don't go away. listening to the progressive voices network streaming the best in progressive talk 24 7 keep the progressive conversation going on on facebook like us at facebook.com forward slash progressive voices on the progressive voices facebook page we update the stories that our hosts like tom hartman stephanie miller bill press and leslie marshall will be talking about during their shows and we share great news commentaries opinion pieces and videos from all over the progressive world always progressive always on be part of the progressive conversation like us at facebook.com forward slash progressive voices The Commonwealth Club is a unique organization that brings together people from a variety of backgrounds to explore important issues as a community. Sooner or later, everyone worth hearing comes to our stage. From Marga Gomez to Richard Chamberlain, from James Hormel to Kate Kendall, leading thinkers, activists, politicians, and artists have come to the Commonwealth Club of California. Ted Olson and David Boyes came here to discuss their winning legal strategy for same-sex marriage. Jason Collins talked about gay athletes. The Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence discussed activism and good works. Actor and director Rob Reiner explained how he got Hollywood behind same-sex marriage. Barney Frank described what it's like to be gay at the highest levels of Washington. From healthcare reform to transgender rights, from immigration to gay-owned businesses, it's all at the Commonwealth Club. And that's still just a portion of the 450 programs we present every single year, with new programming nearly every single day. Be a part of the conversation. Learn more at CommonwealthClub.org, download our free app in iTunes, and join us in person the next time you're in San Francisco. The Commonwealth Club of California puts you face-to-face with today's thought leaders. And now, back to the Michelle Miao Show. 
Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm Michelle Miao, your host. John Zipper of Commonwealth Club is here with us. And on the phone, our guest is Lisa Dezolz, who, uh, you know, just, I think, has the, the right attitude about life, fell in love, and then her and her partner set sail on this incredible trip, left their job, and, and made this beautiful documentary that is about change. Um, and uh, the documentary is out and around, and it's available, by the way, on their website, or at least the trailer is at outandaround.com. Um, and uh, it, it documents the lives of LGBTQI people around the world. Uh, Lisa, <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I, I could keep going about how incredible this project is. Um, it, how long did it actually take? I, I don't know if we uh, asked that question. How long were you away for? Yeah. So we were traveling for a year, and uh, that was when we took uh, all the footage. And uh, then, you know, like I said, our, our four directors who did this amazing job, it took, it, it really took three years to complete the whole uh, post-production process from, you know, raising money to editing down all the videos to adding in all the bells and whistles. Um, it was a full team. So those guys, I feel like they worked harder than we did um, without actually being able to travel. But uh, it just takes, you know, it takes, it takes time. It takes a lot of effort and a lot of money to put together a documentary. So, um, it, you know, it, it took all the endurance that I think we've had, and uh, we're still going. I love that this all came out after you guys actually buying a book on, quote, how to make a documentary. I mean, it, it, it couldn't be better. And then you, you came through with it and, and produced a really nice uh, film. Um, so have you been bitten by the documentary bug? Is there another project coming next? You know, probably... Probably not, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> I think we learned uh, what we didn't know. and I mean, um, now we're just going to, you know, these co-directors that we have, I, they're up and coming. I think we'll support all of their projects in the future. But uh, I think we've kind of had our, our, um, our you know, one and done in terms of filmmaking. But we'll always be activists and we'll always be looking for a next project. Do you still stay in touch with any of the folks you met on this trip? Yeah, we do. We, you know, we've sent um, our film uh, to the to our super gays, <laughs> and uh, you know they've been they've been wanting to host uh, film screenings in their own countries. Oh, great! And uh, you know we've we've also had an open door policy in terms of visitors because we we stayed with so many of the people that mm-hmm. we interviewed. So we've had uh, several visitors from Shanghai um, that we met come through and stay at our house. And recently, very touching one of the one of the the organizers of Shanghai Pride who's in the film, uh, she came to the States with her partner to get married in Hawaii. And they actually decided to spend their honeymoon at our house. <laughs> so, wow. Uh, we got to share that with them, you know, the Castro and San Francisco. And, you know, I think for both of us, it was very uh, re-energizing, you know, for, for them, you know, to come to San Francisco and just to, you know, they, they met with a lot of different um, organizations, including San Francisco Pride. And I think for them, you know, they really got a, a boost of energy in terms of what they want to bring back to Shanghai. And for us, um, you know, they actually were, were with us when we had our premiere at the Castro Theater. And, uh, you know, they were just reminding us, like, you, you know, this, this is only the beginning. You can't stop now. You need to get this film translated and get it... Um, it abroad because that's really where we want people to see it. So, um, they, in fact, they even translated, <laughs> they even translated our film into Mandarin, which, wow. um, as you can imagine, takes hours and hours. 
so it's been, I mean, just an incredible relationship that we've been able to have with um, many of the people that we, we interviewed. Well, Lisa, we're winding down on time, and uh, we should let you go because after your trip, I mean, you you are some very very important, and you do have a job <laughs> to do, and you know, as a, a clinical worker, um, uh, a social worker, and, and uh, you know, I think that my last question is just kind of I don't know if people know or it was in the film perhaps, um, but you and Jenny, you you did tie the knot, did you? Uh, we'll let you watch the film, but. You know, <laughs> yeah, we're done. No, we're still together. We uh, we survived a year of travel, and we did get married. Um, yeah, we got married twice, actually. We got married before and uh, after Prop 8. And, uh, wow. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, out, and out and around, too, is um, we're actually expecting, so we're very uh, thrilled we're going to be having a baby. In wow. The- Congratulations. Yeah. So I do see, we, yeah. John, I think part two is that the baby uh, goes along. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, uh, Lisa, uh, congratulations on this incredible project, and thank you so much for sharing with us and the entire world. Yeah, no, thank you, Michelle, and uh, we look forward to keeping in touch. And, um, you, you know, people can pre-order our film. We're going to um, hopefully release it in February or March. But, um, you know, thanks okay. so much. You know, the website is outround.com. Yeah, absolutely. So, Lisa, thanks again. And for those of you, uh, you know, would like to order the uh, pre-order the film, actually, you can head to outandaround.com, and uh, it's nine dollars and ninety-nine cents. Ten percent of proceeds go to the nonprofit partner. It gets better. Gosh, I don't know if it can get any better than that. I mean, <laughs> this has just been such a, a positive film. So we're super excited about it. Um, I think I am going to pre-order my copy. I should have a copy for my future kids. Right, I mean you too, John. Sure. And your turkey that you that you have waiting for you on Thursday. Yes, I did not, however, get a pedicure, so uh, you still <laughs> want to come on that. Um, geez, you know, I I wasn't expecting to have that conversation about Walmart uh, so openly, and and it, it, you know, again, like it's not that we endorse or I endorse all of the opinions and views of our guests, and so Al, you know, obviously uh, doing the work that he does, um, that that is all based off of you know his facts. Um, my experience is, you know, it, 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 of course, being critical of Walmart is it's not a bad thing. And I've been critical of Walmart for a really long time. Um, but, you know, my last question in terms of if there are you know, agents of change, if we if we have to have these companies in our lives, you know, how can we help them make it a little tiny bit better? Yeah, I mean, when we mentioned the CEO uh, who uh, of Walmart who had uh, pushed for you know the discrimination uh, in I believe in Arkansas in an Arkansas law, that was actually the previous CEO, and I believe our, uh, our uh, uh, Walmart under Mr. McMillan or Mr. McBillions, whatever, <laughs> um, has opposed uh, anti-LGBT yeah, that's right. laws. So there's some change though you know Al Norman obviously has has a much larger uh, criticism of the big box impact mm-hmm. on the economy and such and that's something that you know some folks will agree with and others won't um, but uh, he, he very much feels strongly about it I would say that you know the big discussion that we should be having in this country is is yes you know uh, advancing the lives of, of, of Americans and addressing the um, the intersectional issues that we face and I say you know that word over and over and over because 
and I, I, I had actually discussed this with uh, Fong the other day. It's like sometimes people look at me and it's like Michelle Miao who does the lesbian LGBT talk show. So she's a lesbian as if like, you know, that's just all that I am. That's just who I am. Um, and then, you know, there are some places that I go that people just see that Asian American girl or that actually I don't even think they get to the American part. <laughs> <laughs> I think they're just like that Asian girl. Um, and, and, I, and I think that if we have more conversations and dialogue about, you know, bringing all the intersections of our lives together, we really could make some change happen. I agree. Um, I, the, the, the thing I hate the most is when you have discussions with other people who might not, you know, walk your shoes. And they have a very... Um, What's the word? Like they're very, uh, I don't know, they're, they think that, uh, you know, because you don't know about Christian life or because you don't know about what it's like to be really filthy rich, that <laughs> you couldn't possibly understand where they're coming from. Well, and that certainly goes the other way as well. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I think a lot of times people will be, you know, people within the LGBTQ community will be quick to say, well, that person's not going to, you know, some white Baptist from Arkansas isn't, you know, no way. And then you do get into discussions about them. Either you find you can change minds or you find out that, yeah, this person is a youth pastor who's been working for LGBTQ inclusion. I mean, it, there's, there's a lot, there's a lot that comes from being able to say this is, you know, an LGBT, you know, program or something and, right. and having that sort of uh, categorization. And then there's the rest the fun that comes from when all those barriers just kind of get exploded mm -hmm. because you find out that people are more interesting when they're individuals. I will say this: If Doug McMillan is tuning in right now, and, and I'm sure he and, is, uh, he as would he like, does his you know, yeah, right. <laughs> he has asked me to go back to Bentonville. I know that some of his folks are working on that. I don't know if he'll actually have me back, but if I do end up back there, it, you know, it is my intent to have that bigger discussion. And the three things that I said that they can do to improve the lives of LGBTQ people who are not only their employers, but their consumers. And one that would start with him absolutely supporting an equal rights um, act, something to that sort, because, you know, Walmart is, in fact, very, very international, <laughs> as well as national here, um, and implement, you know, policies that the, the company can endorse, which would make it illegal, at least within their company uh, policies, to fire um, you know, because of sexual orientation or gender identity. And we're winding down on time. And my third thing I said that was to actually have education, to actually have training um, about the diversity of people that's inclusive of sexual orientation and gender identity. And I swear to you, I bet you, if they're looking to retain some of that market share from Amazon shoppers and or, you know, Target shoppers, uh, starting with this, you know, at least start with this. It will impact their bottom line. Um, all right. Well, thank you so much for joining us here on this incredible Tuesday. Thank you to John Zipper of Commonwealth Club. As you know, you can head to commonwealthclub.org and listen to all of our podcasts and check out some other cool stuff that they do. If you do want to check out the podcast, you can just search Meow. We'll be back tomorrow at the same time, 4 o'clock Pacific Standard Time. 